right, Joshua 5, 1 through 12. As soon as the kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites, who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Araloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all of the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Almighty God and Heavenly Father, you say that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. And we do pray for that this morning, that you would illuminate the path before us and also shine the word on our hearts, uh, that we may receive your word this morning with all joy. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, two interesting factoids I wanted to bring to you guys this morning uh, about when I was 21. Two factoids. One is, uh, I got married when I was 21. Uh, Debbie and I were married when we were 21, and yep, it uh, doesn't always work for everyone, but it worked for us. Uh, we're still together. Um, the second factoid is this, that when I was 21, I thought God was calling me into the ministry. Uh, and now at that time, I was working on finishing my degree in engineering, and Debbie was actually supporting us. Um, so I thought, you know, it'd be a good idea to ask Debbie what she thought of this idea. And, uh, well, what did she say to me when I asked her? She said, and I'll always remember this, you did not marry a pastor's wife. I am not a pastor's wife. <laughs> so here we are today, right? Uh, there's a lesson in there somewhere for us, right? God has a sense of humor, so maybe be careful what you say. Uh, but so I took that as God's word to me. If, if Debbie was not called to the ministry, I was not called into vocational ministry. So I went about finishing my degree, 
and going on to a career in corporate America, uh, working 25 years doing that, but also learning to serve and love the local church. Now, for those of you who are out there who work in corporate America, I have great sympathy for you. I know what it's like to get up Monday through Friday, day after day, and try to live out your faith, try to be faithful in the workplace. It's not an easy thing. And as I look back, I can see how God was preparing me. God was using a lot of failure in my life to prepare me for what was ahead. Um, Also in the local church, I see how God was preparing me and using me in various ways for the future. I mean, when I consider what I've done in the church, I remember doing things from washing dishes and stacking chairs all the way to being given the opportunity to preach, right, and work with children and whatnot, be a greeter, work on the sound, sound booth and whatnot. Um, God was using those things to prepare me for what was ahead. And so after about 25 years, uh, something happened. I was actually invited by my local church to join the staff there. And this time, again, before I made a move, I said, well, let's check with Debbie. And this time, she said yes. She said yes. She was affirming actually what was taking place in our hearts for a few years. God was beginning to draw us both towards ministry. Why? Because we were already engaged in doing ministry within the local church. And so what I, why, why am I sharing this story with you? I'm sharing this story because 25 years ago, or actually more than that now, um, that was not God's timing, Right? You know, I thought I knew what the road was for me, but God's timing was very different. God also had to prepare me in much different ways than he prepares uh, most pastors. I'm quite stubborn, I guess. Um, He began to show me what I didn't know when I was 21, right? If I went into the ministry when I was 21, I think, you know what would have happened to me? I would have gotten chewed up, spit out, disillusioned, discouraged, and bitter. And also when I was 21, I guess I didn't realize how very proud, how giant of an ego, how self-assured, how self-confident, you know, how self-reliant and self-dependent I was and still am, actually. So God, by his mercy through the years, has shown me that and given me opportunities to repent over and over again. Well, as we unpack our story today, as we look at the Israelites, we are going to look at God's timing. We're going to look at how God's timing is unique. We're also going to look at God's preparation for his people, and then we're going to wrap it up by looking at God's celebration for his people. So if you're taking notes and you want to have an outline, it's God's timing, his preparation, and his celebration. So let's jump into that first point, God's timing. God's timing. And I've got three things I want to say about God's timing for you, uh, and they're going to come up on the screen when we get to them, but God's timing, it defies human wisdom, defies human wisdom. It is executed to perfection, and thirdly, it's perfectly sufficient. So I want to jump right into that first point, that God's timing defies human wisdom. We're going to see this as we read verses 1 and 2. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan 
for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Now verse two. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. And so do you see what's happening in verse one? Actually, the leaders in the land, the kings in the land, their hearts melted. There was no spirit in them. And that Hebrew word for spirit, ruah, it has this idea of breath or wind. And so maybe literally we can say that Israel took their breath away, that the wind was knocked out of them. And we know this about leaders and organizations, right? If the leader is in fear, if the leader is discouraged, how much more so would be the people of the land? And so we would think that this is the time. Now is the time, Joshua. You've crossed over. Now is the time to strike. But notice what it says in verse 2. And it, it just seems a little jarring to me. At that time, the Lord said to do what? Take advantage of the opportunity? No. He said circumcise. Circumcise. In other words, Joshua, incapacitate your army. Make them weak. And that's what he does. And so God's timing, it defies human wisdom. And so just because there's an open door of opportunity before you, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to go walking right through that door. Now, before we came to Lake Baldwin Church, as Debbie and I were seeking the Lord about God's call on our life, we actually had what we thought was the perfect opportunity uh, we were being prepared to plant a church. Uh, we had been given the green light, and we thought that's what, what God had for us. And we actually got really close with a church. And if you know anything about church planting, you know this. Church planters, they have got to raise money. They've got to gather people. They've got to do all these things. We had an opportunity where a church said, we want you to come, and we're going to give you all the money. We're going to give you all the people. We got like 100 people for you. It's all ready. You just have to show up. And so in our minds, in our wisdom, in our logic, we said, oh, this, is, this has got to be the opportunity. It's perfect. But as we prayed about it and sought the Lord, what happened? We didn't have peace for some reason. We couldn't. I mean, to this day, I don't even know that we can explain it. Other than looking back, we knew, or we didn't know, that God had something else for us, a place called Lake Baldwin Church. And that's why we're here today. So the, the, the thing I'm trying to tell you about this is God's timing defies human wisdom. You know, most of us, we're getting our wisdom from uh, the TV or TikTok, right? We don't want to get the wisdom there. We want wisdom from God. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so if you're seeking God and if you're looking at an opportunity, seek him first. Seek him first. I mean, we're, most of us, we spend so much time looking at other sources of wisdom, but we're not looking at God in his word. So God's timing, it defies human wisdom. Be wary of that. Secondly, God's timing is executed to perfection. And in order to see this, I want to rewind to chapter 4 and look at verse 19, and then we're going to look at verse 10 in our passage. Uh, this may sound a little ho-hum to you, but listen up. The, the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. 
And then in verse 10 in our passage, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. Now, we may, if you're reading this, you may just kind of breeze right by those minute details there, these calendar details. Like, why is that important? And I want you to see how amazing this is, how God orchestrated this. Because on the 10th day of the first month, 40 years earlier, what did God do? God said, select a lamb. And then on what happened on the 14th day, God said to kill that lamb. He was instituting the Passover. And so exactly at the time when Israel was crossing the Jordan and then coming to the Lamb is the exact same time that the Lord is saying now is the time to celebrate the Passover again. Is it just a coincidence? No. God plans and executes all of history to perfection. Everything, everything, everything down to the minutest detail, every gnat and every atom in its place in time, all the way to something large, like, you know, when a star explodes or the position of a hurricane, all under God's sovereign plan. So every moment in time, from the moment that each of you were born to the moment that you brushed your teeth this morning, God oversees it all and all of history is unfolding according to his sovereign plan, according to his providence. And we see in Ephesians 1.11, it says this, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Everything is working out according to God's counsel, according to his decree. Now, you might be here this morning, and it's starting to create a little discomfort for you to hear that. And I want to, to tell you a little bit about this mystery, because it is a mystery, right? How can God do that? Well, God does it in such a way that he is not the author of sin or evil, nor does he violate the creature's will or our will. Okay, that's the mystery that we hold in tension. We see this when uh, the apostle Peter, when he's preaching in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, he talks about the Lord Jesus Christ being crucified according to the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, that evil thing that happened, yet it happened at the hands of wicked men. So wicked men were accomplishing it. God was not violating and coercing their, their will. They were doing what they wanted to do, but they were doing it according to God's predetermined plan. And so God's timing is executed to perfection for all of his people. And in this case, God had decreed that Israel would cross the Jordan right at the moment when it's time to celebrate Passover, okay? So we're gonna jump into that a little bit more later when we look at the Passover, but I want to bring to you the third point about God's timing and that it is perfectly sufficient. We see this in verses 11 and 12. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Now, do you see how God in his providence 
For 40 years, he's providing for Israel. He's providing them manna. And then now they're in the place where they can get their own food and they do it. And then what happens? God's provision changes, right? It goes from this extraordinary, miraculous thing of manna to the ordinary, go get your produce of the land, go cook it up, go make it. But God's timing is perfectly sufficient for his people. And what can we learn about this today. Now, some of us here, uh, we are going through a time when it feels like we're eating manna over and over and over again, and we want that milk and honey. We want that milk and honey. Um, But the lesson for us here today is God's timing is perfect about these things. You may be in that time of manna wanting the honey, uh, but God calls you to be content in that circumstance to give thanks continually, recognizing his provision for you at that time. Now, just to caveat this, I don't want this to be misunderstood or misinterpreted. Um, You may be in in a circumstance of evil where, yes, you do have to flee. Yes, you are discontent because this is not right. And yes, you should, you should do something about it. I'm not talking about the, those sorts of circumstances, right? We see David in the Old Testament fleeing. He had to flee. But you, I'm talking about those regular circumstances in life where, where you're eating the daily manna and you want that milk and honey. God calls you to, to contentment. God calls you to thankfulness and gratitude for what he has provided for you, even if life is in the valley Let's move on to that second point, and that's God's preparation of his people, verses three through five. So Joshua made flint knives, and he circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Ha'aralath. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, they had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. And so I I hope you see what's going on here. It's that first generation that came out of Egypt, they got circumcised, they obeyed, but that second generation did not. And so as we look at God's preparation for his people, there's three things I want you to see. I want you to see Israel's need for obedience, their need for identity, and their need for radical spiritual surgery. Well, let's look at their need for obedience. Where does this come from, this this idea of circumcision? It comes from Genesis chapter 17, where God makes a covenant with Abraham. He makes a covenant with Abraham, and the sign of that covenant is circumcision. And remember this, remember this. What was that covenant about? Part of that covenant was about the promised land. It was about the promised land. So that's what we're, we're, we're talking about. We're in the promised land now. We want to bear the sign of the covenant. And so the question that we may ask when we come to this passage is, well, why didn't that, that second generation get circumcised? Why didn't they take on the sign? Uh, you may know the story about Moses uh, in Exodus chapter 4. Uh, before he went on his mission, Uh, God sought to kill him. And why is that? Well, he didn't circumcise his son. So you would think that Moses would realize how important it is. And then secondly, who wrote Genesis 17? It was Moses, right? But for some reason, 
that whole second generation, they just missed out. They missed out. Maybe they forgot. It's hard to believe. Maybe they're too busy wandering and surviving and fighting. Maybe that's it. Or maybe it's just such an unpleasant right that we're just going to kind of skip a generation here. Well, God wanted his people to renew their obedience. That's one of the way he prepared them as they embarked on the mission to conquer the promised land. Secondly, they have a need in their preparation for their identity. And why is that? Well, circumcision marks the people of God. It marks the people of God as his. In Genesis 17, it says, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And so do you hear what that word says? To not take on the sign means what? It means you're not part of God's people. And you have broken relationship with God. And I want you to see this contradiction. Right? How could you go into the land of promise, which is part of that covenant, and not take on the sign of the covenant? So I have this, I have this wedding band here, right? And this is a sign of my relationship with Debbie, that we belong to each other, that we're in union with each other, right? But I can't just take off this wedding ring and chuck it away and expect to have the benefits of that relationship, okay? That's what circumcision is about. It's about taking on the sign of the relationship, and, and the people of Israel cannot expect to have the benefits of that relationship, meaning the promised land, without taking on the sign of the covenant. So they would need to know their identity as God's people. Thirdly, this, in God preparing his people, they would need to know that they would have to have radical spiritual surgery done to them. Why is that? Because circumcision was not just a physical right. It always was meant to point to something deeper, something spiritual. In Deuteronomy, it says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Israel would have to realize that they would have to have their hearts cleansed from sin. And why is that? Why would they need to know about renewing their obedience? Why would they need to know about having their identity in the Lord? Why would they have to know that they would need a new heart? And here it is. We're on the verge of something horrible. We're on the verge of God doing something horrible. He's going he's gonna to execute judgment and wrath upon people, using Israel as his instrument in his hand, Men, women, and children are going to be destroyed, and it's a horrible thing. Israel, they're going to have to realize that that should be us. If it were not for God's grace and his work, his circumcising our heart, we too are worthy to be swept away, to be destroyed, just like the Canaanites and the Amorites. Now, Israel, we may look at them and say, well, they're, they're not so bad. I mean, the people in the land, they were sacrificing their children. They were sacrificing and killing their children. There was sexual perversion. This is why God was coming in judgment. But Israel themselves, we know as we look at the history, their hearts, they were stubborn. They were rebellious against the Lord. They had made it this far without even circumcising their sons. 
They would need to know as God is using them to execute his judgment that they could fall under the same sort of judgment. They were recipients of God's grace. And that's what circumcision did for them. It confirmed that you are my people. You're my special people. I'm in relationship with you. And you are recipients of my grace. I'm going to clean your heart. And I'm showing you, I'm pointing to you what that is going to look like. And so what happens? Well, they comply. Amazingly, they comply, right? You don't get any philosophical or religious exemptions to this one, right? They all comply, and, and it's, it's hard to imagine. Hundreds of thousands of men of Israel, they got circumcised, and that's why the place is called Gibeath Ha'aralath. Literally in Hebrew, it means the hill of foreskins, yeah. And some of you who are very visual are just like, I just sent you right away, gone. So we're going we're gonna to look at that third point, which is God's celebration for his people in verse 10. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. Now, we already talked about earlier how the timing of this is incredible. It's incredible. But why is that? Because this also is an incredible event, right? You know, the, the Passover signified what? God created a way to deliver his people from Egypt. He opened up the Red Sea. His, he, his people walked through. And now as the second generation is there, they're remembering what happened to their mom and dad. And they're saying, wow, we just walked on dry land through the Jordan River. God has delivered us. God is fulfilling his promise. This is a great day for Israel, and we're going to celebrate it. We're going to celebrate it. Note also, this in Exodus 12, I want to read this to you. This is where the institution of the Passover comes from. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. It's fascinating to me as we read this. 40 years earlier, God is raised saying, when you get to that land, you are to do this. You are to obey. Renew your obedience. But also see, again, uh, this opportunity to teach our children. When your children ask about it, you're supposed to tell them about it, right? And you remember when we uh, were looking at the 12 stones? It was the same thing. When your children ask you, tell them what the Lord has done. And this is why here at Lake Baldwin Church, a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated uh, communion before, before we do, did the sermon. Why? So our children can observe and they can ask Parents, what does this mean? And it's why in the future at Lake Baldwin Church, we're going to celebrate communion occasionally with our children present. We're going to do it every other month with our children present so they can see a visible representation of the gospel of God's grace and they can ask you about it. So I hope you take the opportunity to teach your children what the sacraments mean. We'll go ahead and put up the picture uh, that, I, that I've given you. This is... So in 2021, you know, looking through my phone, 
This is, uh, this is my favorite picture of the year. And we did some spectacular things in 2021, but it's, it's my favorite picture for a couple of reasons. Uh, well, probably the greatest reason I'll, I'll, I'll share with you. One of the favorite things I love to do is gather with friends and family and share a meal and share uh, food and drink. And this was Christmas Day, and so it was a wonderful time. And so when I look back on this picture, I think, man, how great, how great a time. But I also remember one negative thing about this event. This was our super spreader. This was our COVID super spreader. We didn't know that someone snuck in and kind of brought it to the rest of us, and it basically took out almost everyone there. Well, it's the same thing when we come to the Passover, right? Celebration for God's people, remembering and looking back at what was done, God delivering, God saving. What's the bad thing? The bad thing is they had to select their best lamb, that perfect lamb. They had to kill it at twilight. Kind of puts a damper on things. Well, as New Covenant believers. And what I mean by that, we're living in the New Testament era. We're living in a time after Christ has come, right? I want us to make sure that we understand this connection between those two bloody old covenant sacraments, circumcision and the Passover, and their connection to baptism and the Lord's Supper. We'd be negligent if we didn't talk about this. So let's quickly look at this and see that the Bible makes this clear. Paul in Colossians 2, this is what he says, in him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. What Paul is saying there, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to miss this, right? He's saying it's the same thing. Circumcision, baptism, it's cleansing. It's a cleansing that we can't do that Christ has to do for us. It's a cutting off of sin. It's a washing away of sin. That's what it is about. And then when we look at Passover and the Lord's Supper, listen to this. On the night when the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. What was the Lord Jesus doing that night? He was celebrating the Passover. And again, it's amazing to us to realize Passover, again, in history, God is executing it to perfection. So, so the Lord Jesus is instituting the Passover, he's instituting communion on the, on the night of the Passover, right? And the, the Apostle Paul would say it this way, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. Christ is the Passover lamb. Very strong connection. You can't miss it. Can't miss it. Those two sacraments of old, the same as the two sacraments in the new. Exact same meaning. So we started this sermon entitled Two Bloody Signs, but now we're here with two bloodless sacraments. And why is that? Why, why water? Why bread and wine? No more blood. Well, the Old Testament saints, they did not know. They would need to understand that there needed to be a cutting off. There needed to be a sacrifice. There needed to be blood in order for them to be restored to God. But we, on the other hand, 
we look back and we know in reality now, we know what that was pointing to. We know it was pointing to the Son of God crucified for us. And so when we look on our simple uh, elements, right, that's what we see. We look back now to what is real. It's not just a symbol any longer. We see the Son of God, the perfect Son of God crucified for us. And yes, it's a more powerful, more bloody, more gruesome than a hill of foreskins or the sacrificing or killing of a perfect lamb, and that's the killing of the perfect Son of God for us. And we, like Israel, need this grace. We need this grace. We need that reminder that we are his sons and daughters. We need to renew our obedience as well, and we especially need to recognize that we need this radical spiritual surgery done to our heart, cleansing our heart, something only God can do for you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you communicate to us in so many various ways. And we can look at these sacraments, both in the old and the new, and see that they point to your son, that he was cut off, cut off from God's people, cut off from friends, cut off from fellowship with the Father so that we could be restored, so that we could be forgiven, so that his blood would cleanse us of all of our sins. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us in this way. We need this grace. And so we pray that you'd continue to work in our hearts, renewing our obedience, reminding us of our identity of your sons and daughters. And Lord, continue that work that only you can do, cleansing our hearts from sin. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.